so if you're visiting us for the first time this morning, welcome. It's a massive privilege to have you part of Freedom Church in the school halls of the church today. If you don't know, we've been in a series in the book of Luke. And so you can open up your Bible, your smartphone there. Get that smartphone there, Jerry, to the book of Luke. Open it up to chapter 4. We're going to be sharing this morning around Jesus yeah, being in the wilderness, but and the temptation that, that you face. So, uh, I, I, I come to church by chance. No, you've come to church not by chance today, sir. Sitting at the back with that Adidas grey tracksuit. You're here for a reason. You're here for a reason today. If someone's brought you, it's not by chance that you are sitting here opening your Bible, listening to God's Word. God, pray for today. I pray, God, that people would experience the power of the gospel and that, that your gospel, your word, your living word, would rush over souls, people's hearts, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Bit of context to what we're speaking about today. Let's just go back to, to the end of chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. It's on the board there. This is it. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. Jesus got baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. Jesus was about 30 years old when he begins his ministry. And then Luke lists the genealogy. Of Jesus goes all the way back down to Adam. You see it there. Jump to chapter 4. Pick it up in verse 1. Then, so this is straight after Jesus has got baptized. He's just got baptized straight away. Jesus then, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He returns from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit. Say led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, then tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. So the devil starts with man's most basic need, eh? Hunger, food. We need we need food. Most basic need. Let's just start there. But Jesus told him, No. No, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I wonder what that looked like. Eh? In a moment of time, he shows him, he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. He says to Jesus, I'll give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you worship me. So the devil thinks that he can break Jesus by offering him power, by offering him glory and status and respect and recognition. What would your response be if you offered all of that, Edward? If at the right time you're hungry, you're vulnerable, you're tired, it's hot, at the right time, given the right set of circumstances, you get offered all of that, what are you going to say? Because we all want today, we all want power. We all want respect. We all want status and self-esteem. We want it, eh? What are you going to say? Let's see what Jesus says. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only Him. Heck, that's a proper answer. 
Then the devil takes him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you're the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order all his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. So the devil sees now Jesus has got an answer for everything. Jesus is quoting scripture, and so he tries to play him at his own game, tries to trick him here, tries to beat him at his own game, trying to twist the scriptures. That's very familiar to all of us, eh? People try and twist the scriptures. People butchering the Bible, trying to actually justify atrocities like racism. They twist the scriptures. They, they tell you something that's true, but it's actually bad for you. They say to you, oh, sex, but come on, man. It's God's gift. He's given it to you. Go for it. True, it is God's gift. He has given it to you, but it's for marriage only. Yeah, twist the scriptures. And every single one of us have fallen for that. Verse 12, Jesus responds. The scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6 here. It's incredible. When he had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. Beautiful text. And I unpack it a bit together today. Before we get into the big text, the big purpose of today's message, maybe we must just unpack two theological bite-sized chunks, like that lunch bar, the hippo can't, be, uh, can't bite the whole lunch bar. So we've got to just unpack two theological texts here quickly. The, the first one is that we need to smash through this brick, this theological question is that this passage is raising about Satan. No, I don't want to give Satan a lot of airtime today because it's really not about him. But I do think it's helpful just to chat a little bit about this today. If Satan is a real being, and he's not just some religious fable, he's not just some metaphor that we use when bad things happen in the world, then how did he appear to Jesus, Carl? How did Satan appear to Jesus? Let's just unpack that. How did he appear to Jesus? My goodness, I'm busy losing my pages here, so forgive me a second here. And the second thing we need to unpack is, who recorded it for Luke? Because there must have been an eyewitness that witnessed this and and told Luke about it so that he could write it in in the Bible. So Satan is a real being. Okay, He is as real as the parting of the Red Sea. He is as real as the virgin birth. And he is as real as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you battle to get your head around those things actually happening on the planet at some stage in time, then you're going to have a problem believing that Satan is a real being. And we could spend hours, weeks on end looking at every scripture in the Bible that refers to Satan. We could spend hours hearing people's testimonies of how they've had real-life encounters with demonic forces. We could spend hours doing that, but I don't think it's necessary to dig into all that evidence today. I mean, Jesus himself, he spoke about Satan. We just read Jesus himself spoke to Satan. And if Jesus, whom we trust, young and old together, I trust Jesus, James, you trust Jesus, if, if Jesus believes that Satan is real, then it's safe you and I to do the same. Okay? 
And it's not really clear how, G, how Satan appeared to Jesus in the, in the wilderness, but he most likely appeared to Jesus in the unseen but yet very real spiritual realm. Because, for example, we read about how he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in one split second. I mean, that's actually possible to do. So it must have been in the spiritual realm. But Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, later on John and Paul, they had all these living um, examples, living visions that were very intense and real, just like Jesus had in the desert. Very real experiences. So what Jesus experiences in the wilderness is something what like perhaps Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, I don't even know if I was in my body. I don't even know if I was out my body when I was called up to heaven. But I, I, I can explain to you what happened. It was a very real, very supernatural, a real spiritual experience. So that's what happened with Jesus in the desert. And then we've got to assume, friends, that at some time or another, Jesus sat down with his 12 disciples and he told them what went down between him and the devil in the wilderness. He would have shared this story with them. Why? Because he was teaching them that it's unbelievably important to live a spirit-filled life. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The devil is real. And then the second theological thing that we've got to bite through and quite and understand is, did God lead Jesus into temptation? Did he lead his own son into temptation? Because verse 1 says there, he was led by the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, led him into the wilderness. So did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into temptation? Mm. Have a look at James Chapter 1, don't worry to turn there because got it on the board. It says there, verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. Don't let anyone say that. For God cannot be tempted, and he himself tempts. No, Jesus doesn't tempt you. So how does this work? He's full of the Holy Spirit, and then that same Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness in the desert where he gets hungry and tired. It's like, hey, heck, what's up with that? But here's the thing. God didn't lead Jesus into temptation. He led him into the wilderness. Satan does the tempting. Satan, Ralph, led him into temptation. God doesn't put evil desires in my heart and your heart. Why? Because there's no evil in God's heart. He's a pure God, man. He's a holy God. So where does temptation come from then if it doesn't come from God? It comes from, from three places. First place, temptation comes from is from the devil himself. And it starts with that voice. That voice that says, did God really say that, Gareth? Ah, did, did God really say that you can't eat the fruit of that tree? Ah, come on. Did, did God really say that you can't sleep with her? I mean, come on. But the voice, the voice of Satan. The second place where temptation comes from is from sin running its course in the world, where it's the voice of, come on, Daryl, but everybody's doing it. What? The world, come on, man, you're in the, come on, everyone's involved, everyone's doing it. And thirdly, temptation comes from ourselves. It does, eh? James says in verse one, uh, 14 of chapter 1, he says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. And I've told you this before, 
And I'm going to say it again today. I often feel like I want to rip my heart out and I want to beat it with a stick. Because I'm no different to any one of you sitting here today. Mm. Same evil desires. Mm. When Jesus teaches us how to pray, in Luke chapter 11, he doesn't say you must pray and say, Oh God, please take this temptation away from me. I don't want it. Remove it from me, God. He doesn't do that. Because essentially, we will be praying, I, I, I want to I cancel the subscription from life. <laughs> I want to go straight to heaven. Don't pass, begin. Go straight to heaven. He, he doesn't say that. He, he says in Luke 17, temptation is bound to come. He's talking to his disciples. He says, God, temptation will come. So every single day, We've got to make a decision, whether we're at home, whether we're in the workplace, whether we're alone, in the car. We've got to make this decision. Are we going to give into temptation and disobey God or not? In Luke 11, Jesus teaches us how to pray like this. He says, pray that you do not yield into temptation. Pray that you do not give in. To temptation. Don't let temptation throw a sack over your head and say, I've got to. Don't let temptation throw a sack over your head and say, I've rats, I've taken him, I've kidnapped him. Don't let temptation do that, please. So that's one of the things that we need to be praying. That we do not give in to temptation. Praying against giving in to temptation. Let's have a look at one more thing. On how the devil tempts us. Jerry, have a look at chapter 4, verse 13. It says, When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him forever. That's it, done. No. He left him, comma, until the next opportunity came. That's why Peter writes and he says, Stay alert. Stay alert as a son of God. Stay alert as a husband. Stay alert as the head of your home. Why? Because the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. Looking. See. Stay alert. The lion's on the prowl. Stay alert. That's why Paul writes. He says, don't give the devil a... Do you know that verse? Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give him a foothold because he's looking for the next opportunity. But Freedom Church, you've got to know this. You've got to know that we are children of the Most High God. And we shouldn't be living in fear. We shouldn't be scared as we go through life. Satan is powerful, yes, but he's not all-powerful. He's not omnipotent. Big word for me. He's not all-powerful. God has all power over everything. The devil doesn't have all power over everything. The devil's present. He is, but he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all the time like God can. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. And there's 7 billion people, I think, on the planet. So, so the enemy is looking, but he can't be everywhere. He cannot be tempting you 24-7, radical right? He, 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 he's looking. He'll come. He'll, he'll prowl like a lion, but he can't be everywhere all the time. And you are backed by the living God that spoke out the earth. And if you've accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, 
What does that mean? The Holy Spirit now lives inside of you. And you have the fruit of the Spirit. What's the, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Patience. The devil doesn't have patience, Clinton. But he comes like a lion. The devil doesn't have patience. You have the Holy Spirit who gives you patience. James 4 verse 7 says, Stand firm. Stand firm. Be patient. Humble yourself before God. Resist Him. And He will flee from you. So Satan is real. He does the tempting, tempting, not God. And if you've got any further questions, you can email my book or 20, and they're happy to answer all of your questions. Okay. So email address again there, but contact what what what. But just the incredible part of the text today, guys. Jesus is baptized. He goes into the water. He comes out of the water immediately, straight away. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He goes straight from the water into the wilderness. He goes straight from being washed in the water, from being refreshed in the water, from being set apart in the water. He's filled with courage in the water. He's got calling. He's got identity in the water. Straight away, he goes to being tried and tempted and made to feel alone, sabotaged by ridicule and hunger and thirst. You know, something takes place in the water. Stay with me, Colin. Acceptance takes place in the water. Blessing takes place in the water. Commissioning takes place in the water. The Word of God came over Jesus in the water. This is my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. And in the wilderness, in the place of danger, rejection, and fear, the Word of God came out of him. How power is that in? In the wilderness, the word of God came out of him. When we in the wilderness, what's going to come out of us? When Jesus was in the wilderness, he quoted the scripture, the Bible, the verses came out of him, the scripture saying, the scripture saying, the scripture saying. When we in the wilderness tomorrow, what's going to come out of us? Are words like, I'm done, going to come out of us? When we when we in the wilderness tomorrow, our words like I can't gonna come out of us. Friends, for the rest of our earthly lives, it's gonna be all about the water and the wilderness. I want to explain that a little bit. I mean, life here on earth, before we get to heaven one day, is pretty much one big wilderness experience. Let's be honest, before you were born, you're just chilling out in the amniotic fluid there, your mother's womb, and everything's cool, man. And then you're born and you've got to start breathing on your own. It's like, what's up with that? That's pretty hectic, man. And then you, you're born and you're pretty ugly and your mommy dresses you funny in my life. And that's double hectic with a double tick. It's crazy, man. And then you get bullied on playgrounds. And you get tired. And you get hungry. And your visa gets denied. And your heart gets broken by somebody, some idiot. And then your car needs new tires and you can't afford it. And then your kid lands up in hospital. And then your kid doesn't get accepted into Tix or Stellenbosch. And you, then you're in an armed robbery. And it's just wilderness, wilderness, wilderness. Now, don't get me wrong, Neville. I don't want to paint a bleak picture of our lives here on earth. I don't want to do that, friends. But if we're going to change the world for Jesus, if we're going to make a difference for Him in this life now, then as we walk through the wilderness, before we get to heaven, We've got to drench ourselves in the water as much as possible. We've got to immerse ourselves 
in the water as much as possible. We've got to drench ourselves in God's word as much as possible. We've got to experience God's presence as much as possible. We've got to be in accountability relationships that give Jesus glory as much as possible. We've got to, friends. Because immediately tomorrow morning we're back in the wilderness of imperfect life, office politics, school runs in the traffic, road rage that I battle with, my life ask my kids, conflict with the in-laws, mm, battling with someone you dating who brings out the worst in you, a collapse maybe in your pension fund, speak to your accountant, and we're back in the wilderness of not knowing, do we put the dog down? You have to deal with that, eh, but do we put the dog down or not? Do we put our kids on medication? Or not? Do we move jobs? Do we move countries? Wilderness, wilderness. When we're in the wilderness of imperfect life, and the, and the, will the word come out of us? Friends, it's got to come out of us. Because we're called to live lives that make a difference. We're called to live lives powerfully, with conviction and deep-seated faith. Faith that's not based on circumstances. Faith that's based on the word being drenched. In God's presence. And then the world will look at us and say, wow, those people, they're so free. They're so free. They're in the wilderness. She doesn't have a job at comedy, but she's so free. She's so free. You ever been in the wilderness and you come to church on a Sunday? And you have a nice 31 3 cappuccino after church, but you, you share with someone about your wilderness experience, uh, the fact that you, you've been retrenched. They tap you on the shoulder and they say, Ah, man, don't worry. God will provide. It's a bit hard. Sorry, man. But I mean, it feels like it. Don't worry, man. God will provide. And you're like, shut up. You want to bless him with a brick? I mean, it's true. As he said, it's true. God will provide. He is your provider. It's true. But don't be that Christian who just... Sticks a Bible verse over somebody's wound like a band-aid plaster, man. Don't be that Christian. Just quoting scripture. Mm. When someone's in the wilderness, stand by. Mm. Let's cry with him. Let's love him. Yeah? You don't want to cut somebody's arm off in a church casualty who's going to need more than a band-aid. But when we're in the wilderness, the word of God coming out of us could be something like this. You've been in the water. Maybe you've had a quiet time in the morning. You've read the Bible or you've read it at night. Maybe you've switched on some Jesus music or you've read it on your smartphone. You've experienced God's presence. You've been in the water. Man, it's refreshing. It's exhilarating. And you're listening to the message. You're reading the Bible and maybe you come across one of God's promises. Like this one that I'm going to read you from Hebrews chapter 13. The Amplified Bible says this, For he, God himself, has said, I will not fail you nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not. He says, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. It's incredible, eh? Shouldn't that encourage you? When the whole world it feels like it's judging you. God says, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, nor forsake you, nor let you down, nor relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Powerful, eh? 
And you're like, yeah, that's refreshing. That builds me up. The, the water, the word comes over you. But then you drive around from church just now. Or you close your Bible. Or you stop reading it on your smartphone. And you start your day tomorrow. You start your week in June. And you're back in the cold wilderness. And your wife says, she's not actually coming home. Ever. And the doctors say, I'm sorry, but there's actually no hope. And you get overlooked for that promotion again. And then in the wilderness of heartbreak, when temptation comes and says, so much for God, eh? so much for God in your life, it is possible that the tide of your soul will begin to rise and the waves will begin to rise up against the wilderness shores. And your heart still might be broken, but the Holy Spirit will remind you that God himself says, I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless, leave you hopeless. I will not forsake you or let you die. I will not relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. Amen. Friends, if we spend time in the water where the word has come over us, then when we're in the wilderness, the word will come out of us. I want to say that again. When we spend time in the water, the word will come over us. And so when we're in the wilderness tomorrow, the word will come out of us. And we will be able to say to temptation, no, 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 the scriptures say, he's my father. His child. Holy Spirit gives me power and victory and patience to overcome that. I was into that stuff, but you know what? No. Thanks. But no thanks. My daughter said to us a couple weeks ago, hey, mom, dad, I want to go back to Baisley, to my folks' place on the south coast. I, I want to swim again in the shore. <laughs> and I mean, the shore there at Baisley is quite rough. Eh? There's no lifeguards. Massive, and you're either swimming in the shore, you just past the dip, and you're going over the waves, and, and, and the swells are really, really lacquer, or you're getting crushed by them. So it's either the one or the other. And I remember the first time I took our daughter into the shore, it was nice, and the waves were crashing. A little bit, and we were able to go up and down like that. Yeah, it was nice, high tide, and then some of them would crash over her. And they wash it up where there was just sand all over the place and hair all over the place. And, and I'd swim back in and, I, and I'd get, I'd take him by the hand, and Stephen, I'd say, hey, let's just go back in. Let's just go back in. Let's just go and have another go. Let's just go and have another go. Mm. And then walking back to the house, I can remember sharing, having a bit of a debrief. Eh? It's like, you know what, Chris, while we were out there, while we were there, I thought we could just have another go. I thought we could just have another go and I'll take you by the hand and we could just experience another wave and another wave and another wave. Yeah. But that's actually what a good father does, isn't it? Because a good father knows what you need, Kathy. A good father knows what you can handle, Kat. And sometimes a good father knows when he needs to let the waves just crash over you just another time. Just another time. Just one more time. It reminds me of that song that we've just sung. It's like a tidal wave. Crashing over me. Rushing in to meet 
me here, your love is fierce. Mm. His love is fierce, Auntie Patty. Yes, it's soft and it's gentle. And sometimes it's fierce. It's like, God, why are you? This girl seeing her mother being shot in front of her. And God takes that. What the enemy meant for evil, he turns it around for good. Why? Because his love is fierce. The thing is that God knows that sometimes we don't just need one wave, we need another wave and another wave, because I need lots of waves. I'm Bill Fay. <laughs> and don't be freaked out when God's love of his word rushes over your life again and again and again. It might be really uncomfortable. You might get sand in your costume and in your hair. Yeah. And you might get grazes on your knees. But he loves you passionately. He loves you tenderly. Wants to rush over you with his love again and again. Why? So that when we're back in the wilderness, you will know who you are. Just like Jesus did. He knew who he was. He's my father. I'm his child. And sometimes just knowing who you are in the wilderness is the answer that you need when you're there. You also got to know, friends, when we surrender and we allow God's word to rush over us. That's when we have authority in the wilderness. I'm going to say that again. Our authority in the wilderness comes from our surrender in the water. I wonder if many of us today need to decide to surrender to the waves of His love and His word crashing over us. That we will know who we are when we are faced with temptation in the wilderness. And that we will know what to say when we find ourselves back in the wilderness. I want to close with this prayer that was written in 1577. It expresses some of the courage that we will need. Some of the courage that, that we will need because it's going to cost us. As we allow His Word to wash over us. As we surrender to God. So that when we called to make a difference tomorrow... And in June, in the wilderness, that the word will come out of us. It's on the board, because put it on the screen there for us. Beautiful, but bit small. But this is what it says. Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves. When our dreams have come true, because while we've dreamed actually too little, when we've arrived safely, because we sailed too close to the shore, Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we've lost our thirst for the waters of life. Why? Because we've fallen in love with life. We've ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we've allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Please disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly. To venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery. We're losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, in courage, hope, and love. I want to ask you today do you need to surrender in the water today? Do you need to allow His love to wash 
over you so that when we're in the wilderness tomorrow and June, when we're in the wilderness, we can stand firm and not fall into temptation. If that's you today, it's you today, and if that's you today, then I want, I want to ask you, stand with us and, and sing this song, asking God's love, His love that is fierce to rush over us.